Good morning, everyone, and thank you for the warm welcome that you've already given Laura and I. It's a joy to be with you this morning, and uh, we at the Tron uh, send, all at the Tron send greetings, and we remember you often in prayer. So please open your Bibles to Psalm 126, and we'll read together. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Well, let's pray and ask God's help as we open his word together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the chance to gather together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way in which you speak clearly to us through it. Thank you that it is powerful, that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray as we come to your word this morning, pray that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us. Pray that our hearts would be softened by your Spirit, and pray that we would go away seeking to put what you are teaching us into practice in our lives. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, in the summer of 2014, Glasgow was a city transformed, a city which to many had a bad reputation, known as uncultured, run down, damp, drab, dreary, perhaps even worse to some, was like a totally different place. I know living in Edinburgh, you might find it hard to believe, but the streets were spotless. The subway was revamped, and there was a palpable buzz throughout the city. And the sun, for a few days at least, even made an appearance. As masses of people descended on the city from all around the world to take in the wonderful spectacle of the 2014 Commonwealth Games. It was a time when so much hard work uh, had gone into regenerating the city, so it would be ready as the world's gaze fell upon it. As a student, it was a wonderful time to live in Glasgow, with the city and its new venues beamed out across the world. It was slightly surreal as world-class athletes and visitors from all around the world descended on the place I had called home. It was a great time. There was lots of joy and amazement as the world looked at Glasgow and said, wow, what a turnaround. There was a real restoration of the fortunes of the city. Well, here in this psalm, we read of a wonderful restoration of the fortunes of the Lord's people, of Zion, the Lord's city, Jerusalem. Now, before we get into this psalm, you'll see from the title, it is a song of ascents. That's one of a sequence of 15, beginning with Psalm 120. And these were songs for the Lord's people as they made their way up to Jerusalem for worship for one of the three big Jewish festivals. If you like, these were a playlist of songs for the journey 
to help them to fix their minds on the Lord, that they were gathering to worship the one who had done so much for them as his people. Now, this psalm splits neatly into two halves, which we'll look at in turn this morning. It begins by speaking of a time when there was great joy and delight, when the fortunes of the Lord's people had been restored in the most amazing and wonderful way, a dramatic turnaround in such a way that it didn't even feel real. We're told in verse 1, it was like a dream. So firstly, in verse 1 to 3, we see the Lord has done great things in the past. The Lord has done great things in the past. Let's look at these verses as we read them again. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. As we mentioned, this psalm begins with a look back to a time there was a dramatic turnaround in the fortunes of the Lord's people. Mainly in view here is the return from the, the exile in Babylon. But of course, it could be used to speak of many other times in which the Lord's people have seen His goodness and His kindness in restoring their fortunes at times when things have seemed hopeless. Whether that was in their rescue from slavery in Egypt and bringing them safely into the promised land, or any number of improbable victories over their enemies through great kings like David. But of course, particularly at the time of exile, we see a people painfully aware of their helplessness. They'd been thrown out of the land God promised them, and they only had themselves to blame. It was their faithlessness and repeated failure to repent that led to their exile to be thrown out of the promised land. It was truly a grim time in the history of the Lord's people. And we see the darkness and desperation of that in Psalm 137, where we read, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. People mourning and grieving at just how awful it must have been to be displaced from the land in which God had promised such blessing, cut off from the temple where they were called to know the Lord and His presence specially. In addition, they were being oppressed and harassed by a pagan empire. It must have been a dreadful time. But the Lord didn't give up on them. They were, of course, brought back ultimately from exile by the Lord's sovereign action indeed helped on their way in their efforts to rebuild the city and the temple by those who formerly held them captive. It really was a remarkable turnaround. And that is the temple that they are en route to as they sing this song. The Lord's goodness, faithfulness, and His sovereign power have been displayed in wonderful ways. The restoration has seen them go from weeping and wailing in exile to shouting for joy at the Lord's goodness to them, from Jerusalem lying in ruins to being rebuilt and restored, from being cut off from the temple and all that it meant to being back able to worship God in the place He 
had ordained. From being humiliated and defeated by their enemies to now, well, the surrounding nations were told, stand up and take notice. They recognize the Lord has done great things for them at the end of verse 2. God's goodness and power are being seen uh, coming out of his people by the watching world. In a sense, once again, they're being a light to the nations as they were always meant to be. This is a wonderful reversal, a dramatic change of fortunes, a wonderful turnaround for the Lord's people. And it leads, as we see again and again, to great joy, laughter, a sense of wonder, disbelief at the wonderful way the Lord has turned things around for His people. This is a restoration far greater, far more significant than that which Glasgow saw in 2014. The Lord has done great things in the past, and we're called to look back and give thanks. And isn't that true for us as the Lord's people today? We too have much to look back with thankfulness on, to recognize the Lord's goodness and kindness to us in the past. If you're a Christian, well, we've been brought, haven't we, from the helplessness and hopelessness of our sin and separation from God to being saved, redeemed, restored into right relationship with the Lord who made us. We can look back and give thanks to the Lord for the wonderful restoration He has performed in our lives, bringing us from death to life by being united to His Son in faith. We're brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And of course, as we're united to Christ, we're united to His people. We're given new family, brothers and sisters to serve alongside, to encourage and to support one another. And of course, for the Lord's people as a whole, for us as a church family here, and the Lord's people as a whole, we can look back on all the ways in which He's been at work through His church, how the gospel has gone out all around the world, reaching the ends of the earth from small beginnings in Israel. We see people from all over the world now, not just taking notice, but coming to know and love the Lord Jesus. This wonderful restoration and blessing overflowing to all nations, just as God promised Abraham. As we look back, we do have so much to give thanks to the Lord for, to raise our voices and cry out to Him in praise, or whatever that looks like for Scottish Presbyterians. The Lord has done great things in the past, and we do have so much to give thanks to Him for. But I wonder, did you notice there's a surprise in this psalm? From the joy and happiness of the first three verses, there's a bit of a shift between verse 3 and 4. We go from great joy and jubilation and laughter to a cry for help in verse 4. Restore our fortunes. Things aren't quite as good as they might first have appeared. The restoration doesn't seem to have lasted. Just as Glasgow's once resplendent streets are now filled with potholes, the once shiny venues have lost their luster, and the heady days of 2014 feel quite a long way off. The glory days might seem like they're behind us, and it must 
have been similar for the Lord's people back then. Yes, they're heading towards a rebuilt temple. But of course, now it stands as a mere shadow of what it was back in Solomon's day. The Lord had promised greater things to his people through the prophets, things of cosmic significance, great victory over their enemies, the Lord's king ruling over the whole world. But now, at that time, things seem stagnant and small. They're just a tiny, weak nation in the Middle East remaining under the thumb of the Persians. The Lord's great promises to his people don't so much seem to be expanding, so much as shrinking down. What once promised much now seems a little disappointing. And for us today, can't we be tempted to feel as if the glory days might be in the past? Days of revival in this country, people flocking to fill churches, great Christian influence over society as a whole. Look back to heady days like the Reformation. These great times seem merely a speck in the rear view mirror. For today in our churches, often the going can seem slow. As the gospel goes out, it does so with small incremental gains, if indeed we see that at all. There are challenges, whether it's not having a minister, whether it's searching for a building. There can be many frustrations and discouragements. And in our own lives, perhaps when we trusted the Lord many years ago for the first time, it was exciting and new. Periods of rapid growth, progress, and fighting sin felt like our love and knowledge of the Lord was growing more and more. But sometimes it can feel like things now are a bit less spectacular. Sin remains an ongoing issue in our lives. The grind of life can leave us feeling disillusioned and discouraged. It can feel canted as if the glory days are in the past. Well, that feeling very much chimes with what seems to be going on in the backdrop to the second half of this psalm. But notice in verse 4, the tone isn't of despair, but rather as they cry out to the Lord, it is one of quiet confidence, even in the midst of struggle and toil and tears. There is hope. There's the gear shift that goes from thanksgiving, yes, to a cry for restoration, but not in a desperate, vague, hopeless way. Rather, it's said with great confidence. Because secondly, in verse 4 to 6, we see the Lord will do greater things in the future. The Lord will do greater things in the future. The psalmist writes in verse 4, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So as we reach verse 4, having recognized that the Lord has done great things, even though things now might not be how they want them to be, it's a prayer, a cry to God for a new restoration. In the midst of a drought, it's a longing for refreshing streams of God's hand at work to restore his people once more. We're taken by the psalmist to the Negev Desert in the south of Judah, a dry and barren place. But now a sudden downpour seems to have arrived, bringing 
flowing streams and the hope of vegetation and life. The desert is being transformed into fertile farmland. The psalmist goes on in verse 5 to paint another agricultural picture, moving to the idea of sowing and reaping. It's hard work, yes, it's a struggle, but it leads to a great harvest. The picture is of sowing and reaping, heading out and then returning with another massive restoration of their fortunes. Immediately, the prayer is seen to be answered. This is not speculative. There's real confidence. Seems to be crying out to God for something they ultimately know is secure. And the picture in verse 5 and 6 isn't of meager reward. It's not something small, but it seems to be big. It's wonderful. It's super abundance. Recognizing that, yes, there is weeping in the here and now. The work of sowing is hard and it's filled with tears. It's a reminder, isn't it, of the grim reality of life and work in a sin-tainted world, living under the curse. Serving God can be discouraging. It can feel like a slog at times. Work can be frustrating and unfulfilling. In the sadness and the struggle and difficulty of life day to day, we recognize God's goodness in the past, but we long don't we, for something more. The work of sowing is hard, we're told here. It involves tears and toil, but we're encouraged it will be worth it. Why? Well, it's because when you return and you see the harvest, there will be shouts of joy. Returning to this restoration seen previously only now, it promises more. It's even greater. It's not just a return to how things were, the so-called glory days. This seems to be bigger and better in scope. It's not about a spruced-up temple or acquiring a bit more land. It seems to be speaking of a restoration of Eden-like productivity, that somehow there is hope that the curse that arose due to humanity's sin might be undone. Where there was futility, and it is hard, there is hope of great fruitfulness where there is curse, there is hope of great blessing, as the promises that God has made will one day be fulfilled in all their fullness. There's hope things won't always be like this. There is something sure and certain on the horizon. The Lord will do greater things in the future, and we'll be encouraged to look forward with anticipation to what He will do. Faithful Israelites singing this psalm at the time would have known that. They would have longed for that as they cried out to God to restore their fortunes once again in an even greater way. But of course, we have even more reason to be confident, don't we? We have seen how the Lord Jesus and all that He has done in His death and resurrection shows the curse can be rolled back. He, he no doubt would have sung this psalm on his way to the temple each year for these festivals. And for him, his life of sowing was a bitter and painful one. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with sufferings. But he fixed his eyes on the harvest at the end. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame Jesus knew what it was like to sow in great weeping 
and pain for a harvest that will be unlike anything that has ever been seen in this world. And now, well, he's seated at God's right hand. But when he returns, all his people will share in his great inheritance and witness this glorious harvest, a restoration on a cosmic scale, right relationships between us and God and between one another. Abundant fruitfulness will replace meager reward for frustrating toil. A day when faith will be replaced by sight, when struggle and disappointment will give way to true and full lasting satisfaction in the Lord. So the psalmist is helping us not to look backwards with rose-tinted spectacles at the so-called glory days. Don't make an idol out of how things used to be. It's easy, isn't it, for us to long that things would be like they once were in the past. If only Scotland could be like it once was. We can look back to days of revival, or perhaps fond memories from student days, or times of real growth and encouragement, or whatever the glory days seem like to you. Of course, we long that the Lord will pour out His mercy on our nation, on our church. We'd love to see Him at work in great and mighty ways once more in this land. But of course, it's possible if we dwell on how the past was so much better, we can do that at the expense of looking forward to what is sure and certain. As we do that, we are called to share in the work of sowing, to keep going and proclaiming the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And yes, at times it can feel unfruitful and frustrating. As God's word is met by rejection, or we see those who start well, but then fall away. It is hard. It involves tears and toil. But of course, Jesus acknowledges these responses to the gospel in the parable of the sower. But he also reminds us that as God's worth goes forth, it will bear real fruit. 30, 60, 100 times that which was sown. And of course, it is bearing fruit and growing around the world today. And one day we will see a great and glorious harvest from every tribe and tongue and nation before the Lord's throne. The Lord will do even greater things in the future. So whether this morning we're rejoicing in thankfulness at all that the Lord has done in our lives, or whether it feels more like we're sowing in tears, we can keep going as we look forward with great anticipation. The Lord has promised He is building His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ will return in glory, and we will receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The Lord's goodness in the past gives us great confidence that He will keep His promises in the future. The Lord has done great things in the past. He's continuing to do great things now, even when it's hard. And one day we will see the fullness of all the great things that He is doing. Amen. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the wonder of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the many great things that you have done for your people in the past, for all that you've done for us through your Son. And we give you thanks for the great hope of ultimate restoration on a cosmic scale when all things will be put under the feet of the Lord Jesus and people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered as a great and glorious harvest. We pray, Lord, that you would sustain us and encourage us and help us to keep going in the midst of life's struggles and difficulties. And we pray that we would keep the work of sowing the seed of your gospel message. Help us to be faithful in that, and we trust that you would bring about a great and glorious harvest. We bring all these things to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.